0: We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. And uh, wait a minute. Why are we singing Christmas carols in July? Well, have you been in the dollar store lately? Yep. And there's a lot of Christmas stuff. I wonder why. Welcome to the Real Time Roots Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Diel, and this is my co-host, Sarah. Hello, everyone. At Joy Bully, we help you grow your own food and remedies so that you can create health and wellness for your family naturally. In today's episode, we want to talk about one very easy way to get started with food storage, and that's cold storage or root cellaring. That's the way people stored food for millennium. And, It's really easy to get started, so we want to help you do that today. Why were we talking about Christmas in July? Well, it's because of the just-in-time inventory management system that all stores, all retail establishments, and a lot of wholesale places too, use to control their inventory. That way they don't have to have warehouses full of stuff waiting to be shipped out. And that worked for a long time, but it's not working anymore. You probably noticed when you go into your grocery stores or your hardware stores that there are some bare spaces on the shelf, and that is because of the Just-In-Time Inventory System. One of the key points about the
1: Just-In-Time Inventory System is that they don't hold stock in a back room. So what is on the shelves is by and large what the store has available, and if it's not on the shelves, they're waiting for it to come in on the next delivery truck or maybe two delivery trucks down the line, or three, or four, or five. It really depends on the distributors who are also part of this just-in-time system. As we mentioned, local dollar stores and small distributors currently have a lot of Christmas inventory that is on their shelves that they are trying to sell in July. And that is because the ships didn't get into the ports at the right time, which meant that deliveries were delayed. And instead of having all the Christmas stuff in November, we're getting it later.
0: Now, when it's something like Christmas that your life doesn't depend on, it doesn't seem to be a big deal. In fact, it's funny. But when it's something that we are depending on, like groceries, or medicine, or other things, maybe school supplies, and they're not in the stores when you need them, we're in trouble. And so we want to talk to you today about the way that some of our ancestors dealt with these shortages in their time, and what we can learn from the situation, where we can apply today and we can do better. In rural areas, you're likely to see more gaps on the
1: shelves. In my hometown, uh, some of the inventory on the grocery store trucks gets diverted when the trucks stop off in the major centres before us. So sometimes they don't get in what they ordered or they don't get in special orders because they ended up in the bigger center instead of getting all the way here. So if you're in a small center versus a larger city, you may already be seeing some gaps on the shelves. But you have an advantage if you're in a rural area. You have access to farms and farmers. And with being in July now, there is fresh fruit, fresh produce, and everything you need
0: to start preserving in season locally. So when I was a little girl in the 1960s, when you went to the grocery store in winter, you wouldn't have all of the things that we get in the grocery store today. You wouldn't have bananas. You wouldn't have cantaloupe and melons in the middle of winter. There were a lot of cabbages, though. And the reason for that is that cabbages are actually in season in winter. And so one of the things we want to share with you is about seasonal eating and about some of the ways that our ancestors actually preserved food. Now the historical way that nations have dealt with food shortages, we can actually look back on those and learn from them. So during World War I and World War II, governments encouraged their people to grow victory gardens. And it didn't matter which side of the war you were on because Germany did it, England did it, The United States did it, Canada did it, and they encouraged their people to grow victory gardens which were vegetable plots that were planted, small vegetable plots that were planted in people's backyards. They turned their lawns into gardens and the war inspired people to start growing food again because they had stopped for a while. There's a lot of propaganda around it, admittedly. It was on fire with patriotism because you grew a row as your way to contribute to the war effort. But it also made sure that people had food when there were food shortages, when food was cut off. Now, Victory Gardens were mostly vegetable gardens that grew vegetables and herbs and things like strawberries and a few berry plants like that. It also allowed more food to be available to send overseas as well. Also,
1: growing food locally in backyard gardens, or as they were stylized then, victory gardens, was a way to remove some of the stress from the food distribution system, because fresh fruits and veggies require specialized trucks, especially in summer, to be able to get them to their destination cool and cold. And so in those days, with limited amount of food distribution and also Focus on growing other crops for the war effort, like hemp or grains for troop rations. It meant that having people grow vegetables that didn't travel well locally Took a lot of strain off of the larger distribution system and our distribution system today is even bigger
0: than it was in those days. Another thing about the Victory Gardens is it made sure that there was adequate fruits and vegetables for children growing up and for households and they reported that after the war many people were healthier than they were before the war because of the additional fruits and vegetables in their diet. So what did they plant in these Victory Gardens? Well, it was seasonal foods, food that would keep, food that could be cold storage. Because remember, during World War I and World War II, every house didn't have a refrigerator and a freezer. In fact, those were introduced later for the majority of people. So they had to grow food that could either be kept in the garden over the winter so that they could harvest it as needed, or they had to grow food that could be kept in what they called a root cellar or a cold storage system. There
1: was some revival of backyard gardening in the style of Victory Gardens during early 2020, and that was to help fight the war against the pandemic. So with those gardens, a lot of people were mostly experimenting and doing it more for fun, and some people were doing it to help reduce their number of trips they needed to do to the grocery stores. But even then, it was also helping take a little bit of the burden off of a lower-manned and stretched-thin supply chain.
0: So when they grew the Victory Garden and when they were looking for food to cold storage, it was important to grow the right kinds of food because not every food can be stored easily with cold storage. And canning was just starting during World War I and World War II. It was a, a kind of a new thing and the USDA was still working out how long things needed to be canned for and the whole situation to control botulism and so canning wasn't widespread cold storage was and cold storage was a dependable system but as i said not everything can be cold storage so we want to talk a little bit about the types of food that you can grow in your garden that can easily be stored in the cold for the winter so Let me frame it in a story that happened to me. Now, I knew about cold storaging when I was uh, first married. Uh, We did have a freezer, but not a very big freezer because we were living in an apartment. And we also didn't have a lot of space. And our apartment was fairly warm. Um, We were on the third floor of a three-story building and all the heat rose. So we didn't even have to turn on our heat in the winter because we took heat from all the other apartments around us. And... I bought a 50-pound bag of potatoes. Now, they were quite cheap in the fall, like $7 for a 50-pound bag in those days. And we didn't have any cool place to put it. So rather than put it under the bed or put it in a closet, I stuck it out on the balcony. Well, December came, and we lived in the Lower Mainland, which is, as, it's a Zone 8, and so fairly warm most of the time. But we had a frost, and I went out to check on the potatoes, and they were a pile of water. They had turned completely to mush, and I lost that entire 50 pound bag of potatoes. So that's what not to do. Food that's put in cold storage can't just be cold frozen. It has to be cold, but protected from freezing. And we're gonna tell you how to do that. Sarah, what kind of vegetables do people need to grow or to buy at the farmer's market if they wanna do cold storage? Well, as you mentioned,
1: potatoes are a great option for root cellaring or cool storage. Um, other options include mature carrots. You don't want to do the early season carrots because they have very soft skins and they won't store well, but late season autumn carrots are usually a little bit thicker skinned and they will should store fairly well for at least most of the winter. You can also store beets, parsnips, turnips, winter radishes, onions, garlic. Squash is a lovely one to store. It can keep right through until March or April. And even those giant baseball bat zucchinis can actually store quite well until January or February. So you don't have to rush to process your ginormous zucchinis into zucchini bread. You can do it in January when running the oven will actually warm up the house.
0: You can also store sweet potatoes and cabbages and some of the leafy greens. The outside leaves will kind of dry out and desiccate, but the inside, the core, will still be good. Any type of winter squash can be stored. So that's
1: pumpkins, butternut squash, spaghetti squash, Blue Hubbard squash. Any squash type basically that has a firm skin can be stored. There's even, um, I think it's called a wax melon. That is a semi-sweet melon type that's actually designed for winter storage. So it's harvested usually in September, I believe and you can actually store it for several months without it starting to go bad, unlike your normal July or August watermelons, and it will be a sweet melon.
0: If you are growing your own food to put into cold storage then you do need to take some extra steps. You need to make sure that, for instance, your squash all have a hard skin. If you're going to try and store zucchini, you want to make sure that the zucchini has matured and that it has a hard skin. And you can test that by just gently poking your thumbnail into the squash. And if it actually leaves a mark, then you want to wait a little longer for the skin to harden. If you're wanting to store garlic or onions, the best way to do that is to braid the long tops because they will keep longer in storage than if you cut the tops off. However, if you are buying these at the farmer's market, the farmer will have already cured it and it will already be ready to store.
1: And for cold storage, any semi-underground basement, as long as it's below ground, can be used to safely store root vegetables, squash, and pretty much anything else you would want to root cellar. Now, one caution with root cellaring is if you are planning on storing apples, you want to store them away from your vegetables, preferably in a different room. And that's because apples give off a ripening gas that will cause other fruit to ripen. Ethylene dioxide. Thank you, Chris. And if it's with your potatoes or your squash, it'll make those start going soft before they otherwise would. However, I do take advantage of it with my last hurrah harvest of green tomatoes right before the killing frost. And I put my green tomatoes in the same room as my apple boxes so that the apples will encourage the tomatoes to ripen and I can actually extend my tomato season.
0: You're being tricky. Good for you. If you're just getting started thinking about using herbs to make something so that you can feel better and start to tap into the natural wellness, I've got the perfect course for you. My course, the Inspiring Botanical Drinks, Mixers and Elixirs course. In this video course, you'll learn how to make healthy beverages that will help you break away from sodas and sugary drinks or plain boring water. Even if you have a two or three soda a day habit, Even if the kids are home and you keep running out of ice and ideas. Even if you struggle to get enough fluids in your body because of the heat. Even if you are watching your macros, your carbs, or your waistline. Even if you have food sensitivities or allergies. And even if the rising price of food and drink has you making tough decisions about where to cut costs. If you are making more food at home and watching your budget, but go to the same bottled beverages day in and day out, this class will inspire you to up your game in the beverage category with healthy and creative options that are also kind to your budget. So have a look at the Inspiring Botanical Drinks Mixers and Elixirs class. You'll find the link in the show notes. So in the old days, people actually built root cellars outside and they would put them below ground. The main thing with a root cellar or a coal basement is you'd like it to stay around 50 degrees Fahrenheit. So if you have an area that can be in the middle of winter, 50 degrees Fahrenheit, it's ideal. So, some people do that by sinking a freezer into the ground two feet underground and then putting straw on top to keep the underground temperature is generally in the 50, 40 to 50 degree range so it won't freeze. Other people build elaborate root cellars. Now, once you build one, it's there forever. They should have good ventilation to keep the gases like the ethylene oxide from building up underground. Um, And that's quite elaborate, and you can find instructions for that. If you look in the show notes, we have some links there for that but you don't have to go that far if you have a place that can be unheated like an unheated bedroom or a closet space that's colder than the rest of your house in winter that's a great place to store some vegetables things like onions and garlic can even be at room temperature they don't have to be cold I usually keep my garlic braid in the kitchen That's what I do as well, and I heat with wood, and the wood stove is very close to my kitchen, so it sometimes gets quite warm, but the garlic doesn't sprout because I braid it. You do want to avoid frost, though, Um, so you don't want to stick it someplace like the balcony that I stuck my potatoes on where you're going to get a frost because that can ruin all your work. Now, the other thing is some, if you're gardening, some of the things like carrots and beets and potatoes, cabbages even, can be actually buried and kept underground and just harvested as needed. Buried with straw. Buried with straw. The straw
1: enables you to keep the ground from freezing so that you can harvest fresh carrots or beets or potatoes, as the case may be, throughout the winter. If you don't have the straw layer, the ground may freeze and you may not be able to actually dig into the dirt to be able to harvest during the winter. We have a friend who regularly heavily mulches in her carrots every autumn and throughout the winter, she harvests fresh carrots all
0: year. Now that works if you don't have a problem with rats or pocket gophers or pocket gophers. If you have vermin problems, then you don't wanna store it that way because it will be less than ideal. When you're storing um, carrots and beets and other root vegetables like parsnip, the ideal thing is to put them in a box with some sand. You can use like a Rubbermaid container or something like that and um, stick them in the sand, bury them in the sand. Single layer, put some sand. Another layer, put some sand. And that will keep them in good condition for eating all the way to March or April. And the sand needs to be lightly damp. Lightly damp. Not Not dripping but like beach sand.
1: I've also heard of people using sawdust.
0: Yes, I've heard of that too.
1: And again, it would need to be lightly dampened and sawdust may be easier to get than clean beach sand because you can get uh, fuel pellets that you can hydrate with boiling water, let cool and then use that to pack your vegetables and you will have less chance of molds forming because you're starting with something that is a clean base.
0: So when you say fuel pellets, you're talking about what somebody would use for a pellet stove.
1: Yep. And you can actually get ones that are pine and fir, which shouldn't affect the flavor of the vegetables,
0: but will repel bacteria and molds. That's a great idea. Good idea, Sarah. So we've been talking about how you can preserve food if you don't have a big freezer, if you don't want to do canning, if you don't want to do dehydrating. It's basically the easiest way for someone to get started in preserving food. Now, the good thing about it is it gives you vegetables that you can then use for soups and stews all winter long. What I do want to share, though, is that the length of time these Fruits and vegetables will last, they're not all going to last till March or April, so you're going to want to eat them as you go through them and you start to see ones going soft, you're going to want to eat them then, or if you start to see any kind of decay happening, you want to eat them then, so some things like cabbages will last till January. Um, I have had pumpkins and butternut squash last until March. Potatoes usually by February or March are starting to form eyes. You can still eat the potato if you cut off the eyes, but they're getting ready to be planted in the ground by March. So your potatoes pretty much are going to be finished by March or April. Carrots and beets, um, they will start to sprout, and you can actually eat the greens from them. When I say sprout, they'll start to develop their their green tops because they're getting ready to go into the ground and grow seeds for next year. So when you see those green tops forming, that's an indication that it's time to eat those. But you could also eat the green tops. The same with parsnip turnips, winter radishes. So as you're looking at your cold storage, there is some management involved. It's not just put them in cold storage and walk away for six months. So make sure you're eating through the food. And a great way to do that is by making soups, making stews, and those kinds of things.
1: On the subject of fruit in cold storage, pears rarely last past November because a lot of the pear varieties will start going soft from the core to the skin. So they will look perfectly fine on the outside, but when you cut into them, there will be starting to be browning around the seeds and around the core. So you want to plan to use fresh fruit like apples and pears a little bit earlier than some of your vegetables. I've had apples successfully last into December with a few squeaking into January even. But by that time, the skins are starting to get a little soft and a little rubbery and they're just not as nice for straight eating but they still work awesome for fresh applesauce or as a baked apple crumble.
0: Nothing beats a fresh baked apple crumble in January. And you mentioned as we were talking about tomatoes, Sarah, in a way we kind of cold storage green tomatoes too. Why don't you tell us how you do that?
1: Well, how I did it last year was I heard there was going to be a killing frost. So we went out and cut all the green tomatoes off of my tomato plants And I just spread them out in shallow boxes, the two-inch flat boxes that you get with berries and stuff in them. Just spread them out in there and set them beside and on top of my apple box. And I just monitored every couple of days, checking through, taking out the ripe ones, throwing away any that were starting to go soft or looked like they wouldn't ripen. And... I was able to continue eating ripe tomatoes from that box for another month to six weeks after our first Killing Frost. And what was the
0: flavor like? Just as good as when they were fresh off the vine. That's amazing. That's amazing. I've done the same thing, but when I did it, I wrapped each one individually in newspaper to keep it from, you know, going bad. You didn't do that though. You just left it in the box?
1: Mine were cherry tomatoes. Okay. Okay. So I just left them in the box. I had a few slicing tomatoes, but they weren't that big. So it wasn't worth trying to separate them out and individually wrap them. If you were growing large slicing tomatoes, however, wrapping them individually in newspaper and tucking them into the individual spots in a box would be a very good way to get them to last longer than six weeks
0: after harvest. I've had them last as long as Christmas from September cutting the vines down in September so almost
1: 12 weeks yeah of extended tomato season but That's I awesome.
0: did. I wrap them individually what wrapping individually um, means that if one tomato goes bad it's not infecting the whole box
1: yep it keeps the potential mold or mush contamination isolated and you can just pick up realize that that one's gone completely soft and you don't even have to open the wrapping to check
0: right So we've been sharing about cold storage and root cellaring as a way to mitigate the supply shortage that people are seeing and also a way to store your garden produce or the farmer's market produce, local produce while it's in season so that you have it for the winter. So before we leave you, we want to leave you with one positive action. And that is find a place in your home where the temperature in winter is not too hot for storing food. Um, It might be a closet, it might be a place in the basement, it might be a place in the garage, some place where the temperature can be maintained at around 50 to 55 degrees to keep cold. And if it goes down to 40, that's okay, as long as you can protect it from freezing. And we want to share with you an article on the blog, um, JoybeliefFarm.com root cellaring food storage. You can find the link in the show notes.
1: And once again, that's draperyfarm.com backslash root-cellaring-food-storage.
0: Thank you, Sarah, and thank you listeners for listening. Please share this episode with your friends and family, anyone you think could be helped by it, and please like and subscribe. And we hope you listen to the next episode. Talk to you soon.